Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest that comes armed with five pieces of music. It can be a song, it can be a record, it can be whatever it needs to be, as long as we're talking about music. Uh, I don't pretend to be a music expert. I do have strongly held opinions, as do many of my guests, but, you know, we're not experts. It's all about what we like and just engaging in conversation and maybe possibly discovering stuff we hadn't uh, listened to before. I have a lot of blind spots uh, as far as the music world goes, and thus far over the 30 episodes, 29 episodes I've done so far, this being the 30th, I've discovered quite a few uh, artists that I've come to enjoy quite a bit. The guest on this episode is Gavin Van Vlack, a musician and martial artist. Uh, he is known most probably most famously for the band Burn, but also for the wildly, amazingly good Absolution, uh, Die 116, and his current project, Canonized. Uh, I've not, don't know Gavin, didn't know him before this, just hit him up on a whim to see if he'd be willing to talk, and he was more than eager to do this. And uh, I had a great time talking to him. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we talk a little bit about his um, uh, life in martial arts and as an instructor at a physical culture collective uh, based in New York, Brooklyn. Yes, Brooklyn. And um, yeah, I just had a great time talking to him. And uh, it's a pretty good episode. Uh, it is in two parts. We cover a lot of ground. I'm finding that a lot of our episodes cover a lot of ground, but this one, we hit a lot of notes. Uh, So again, this is in two parts. This is part one. When you're all done here, go check out part two. Thanks for listening. I've been known to fucking forget to hit record, so. That's okay. (laughs) How are you? I'm great. I mean, it's like I'm always in some manner, you know, as long as, you know, I'm I'm on on the green side of the dirt, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. You know, and even then you're gonna do you know yeah you're pretty busy the past week or so i guess um i'm constantly uh i'm an extremely task-oriented person yeah so uh i always i always have a lot of projects going on um right now the big project is diamond heart um which is the facility that i basically founded about about seven years ago like it's a martial arts uh, I wouldn't, you want to call it a dojo gym. I don't know. I kind of don't like the word gym. That's why I call it a physical culture collective because, yeah. uh, you know, it's funny because I, I was at this thing last night and I was talking with someone who, um, I have a bunch of friends at work doing internet work for him. You know, it was, you know, wizards of the interweb type stuff and, uh, they work in marketing and so on and so forth. And, uh, I said, Oh yeah, well, so-and-so, and one person in particular who's uh she's uh she's a flat track racer who Diamond Heart sponsors, he sponsors her as well, but she also works for him. I'm like, oh well, my friend's you know Scarlett works for you. No, no, she works with me. And I got what he was saying. I like, I don't like to say, oh yeah, well, that person is my employee. And you know, because quite honestly, I am if they were to all leave me, I'd be I would be in a fucking like I would be in a hot bowl of soup. Because uh, it's you know they they're 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 really important parts of the whole mechanism of what makes uh, Diamond Heart so fucking awesome, you know. Um, so are the so, are the focus arts uh, Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu? Yes, yeah, very much. We call we you know we're like you know it's striking and grappling because you know it's like I I my personal belief is 
you know, like, oh, Muay Thai, you know, Muay Thai is, you know, like, it's an amazing art, but then, I mean, so is Left Way, so is Savat, uh, you know, so is, so is Queensbury's Rules Boxing. Every culture had wrestling and striking, as well as weapons forms. Every culture has. Because yeah. we've, you know, we're like, I hate saying we're like, but we go to war. And we always have the, have had, the had the need, had it, had it the need to defend ourselves. You know, so it's kind of, um, and it's also, I mean, it's a, it's a rites of passage thing. I think with young men and young women, there's always been kind of that, that proving grounds. And quite honestly, it's like, I'm not trying to make a, a, an army of Muay Thai warriors. I'm trying to bring something into people's lives that makes their outside life better. You know, yeah, that was, that was the one thing. I mean, a lot of my friends, like when, when I first started getting into punk rock and hardcore and stuff, that's about. 86 or so like when I was a freshman in high school I, I stayed with wrestling but uh, I wish I didn't I didn't apply myself my senior year the way I should have and I really wish I had because I felt I was at my happiest in my youth when I was wrestling mm-hmm. you know like it felt like there was that outlet that yeah. I wasn't getting from music and, or, yeah. and, and other other you know, things, but of course, when you're dumb and you're a teenager and you're in punk rock, you're like, Oh, I don't need, I don't need sports. Well, the problem is is that we're dumbass shit, you know? So, but we're also told and we're told from a very young age, and this is a problem, I think in high school where you're told you could either be a jock or you could be cerebral and you couldn't be both. You could either be artistic or you could be athletic and you couldn't be both. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. No, they aren't at all. They are in the like Miles Davis boxed. Fucking okay. Uh, every I mean, everybody knows like one of my lifelong friends, Gigi Brown, who I was in absolution with, who basically owns Soulbox. His father, his father, Marion Brown, introduced him to boxing at an early age. You know, um, yeah, it's um, you know one of one of my, a very close friend of mine, Barry Danielian, who. Uh, is he's a he's a horn player for Bruce Springsteen, is also a very well versed uh, Kali Salat and uh, you know Salat instructor as well as like you know Muay Thai athlete and catch wrestling you know player. It's like yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Like if any of your friends are like, oh, why are you doing that stuff? Walk the fuck away from them. Well, yeah, I mean, up. I'm talking, I'm talking like high school shit. I'm 48 yeah. now. There's nobody. In fact, one of the one of my oldest friends. Well, not, yeah, yeah think- I've known him for about like 20 years. Uh, Professor Paul, he uh, he just attained his black belt in jujitsu from Chris Chard, but he started with um, Dudu Barros. Uh, out of Brazil, he had yeah. moved to the states, and Paul got in, uh, got into jujitsu relatively early on, and he just got his black belt three years ago. And Paul, had, he's a bass player, so yeah. there. To to our point, it's not mutually exclusive. Um, no, it's not mutually exclusive, especially if once you you start to see like jujitsu athletes like Ryan Hall, they're like people are just like you know they're like, oh my god, this guy is you know he's. He's a self-professed, he's a nerd, you know, and it's like, jujitsu is a very cerebral, you know, cerebral game, Um, as well as Muay Thai, even though people consider Muay Thai to be much more brutal. Like, if you look at the guys that, like, all the guys on our fight team are, they're they're chess players, you know, they're not, it's not checkers. Um, But, I mean, the way I was talking about it now is like, you know, for, for chance, because 
you know, we're putting this out there. And some kid who might have heard a burn song, who's a young 17 year old kid is going to be listening to this and might be going through that thing of like his friends who are just getting into punk rock or like, Oh, well, why do you want to be, why do you want to do martial arts? Oh, that's not punk. Yeah. What, what I, I, I'm with you run away from those people. Cause those people yeah. are, they're not interested in your uh, development. And they're quite honestly only interested in the, in my opinion, interested in the fashion and the image of punk rock and not what punk rock is really fucking about and yep. not what hardcore is really about and not with this whole movement that we've worked so hard to make something that is exclusive and not exclusionary. Yeah. You know, yeah. something that, something that we can wear our flags. People will see them on the street and be like, Hey, I have something in common with you. Like, you know, you're walking through the middle of nowhere and someone comes around the corner and they're wearing a fucking dead guy shirt. You know, you have a friend, you know, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's, it's so funny. Like I've been teaching for a long time and it never ceases to amaze me how many punk rock and hardcore kids went on to become teachers of some kind. I teach public school. I teach special ed, Yeah, you know, um, but there's not, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to somebody I don't know, just riffing online or at a show or something like, oh, what do you do? Like, oh, I teach English. I'm like, you fucking kidding me, man. Like, it's it's crazy. And it's it, those flags aren't as evident. But if you're at the show and then you have that other thing in common, too, it makes it even more, more special. Absolutely. Um, well, absolutely. And well, that's a funny thing, too, is that like, um, you know, for people who remember like Dial 116. Yeah. Um, okay, well, our tour manager, Vicki Walker, who was also on the Dynacle record, she was the girl on the radio, she works in special education now, too, in Baltimore. Yeah. And she's also, like, a marathon runner and, a mar- and, you know, she dabbles in Muay Thai. And she's like, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's like one of those people. Like, if you were to know Vicky back, back in, like, the 90s, or like, you like, crew cut, short crop, blonde hair, and, like, you know, Doc Martin boots and, like, you know, like, that, that, that tough, hot chick, um, people would be like, Oh my God, you know, now it's, yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's you know, the transformation is fucking astounding. You know, my, my oldest friends aren't surprised that people who haven't known me nearly, nearly as long, but knew me well enough back then. They all kind of look at me a little bit weird. Cause I mean, I, you know, I'm not a tough guy at all, but I, I was, I was a hard scrabbleish kind of kid, you know, yeah. you're a little bit smaller, a little bit chip on your shoulder, you're punk rock, you wrestled and, you know, yeah. you kind of, you know, so when they hear that I teach special ed, particularly pre-K through three kids that have, you know, severe medical challenges on top of that, they're like, wait, Absolutely. Gar- Gar- Gargus, you, you do that? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a person. I grow and develop and yeah. that's the way it works, man. That's, that's life. So um, I'm super excited when I got your list because there's one band on here that has always stuck with me. Again, back to the narrow-mindedness of punk rock a band that has stuck with me regardless of many many detractors in my circle of friends when i was a young man fucking fucking steely dan it doesn't get much better than steely dan doesn't get much more punk than steely dan you know that that song that song in itself kid charlemagne kid charlemagne is basically about you know there's there's a i mean there's a couple there's there was a couple of songs that i was like juggling uh one was choctaw bingo which is about like, you know, the North Texas, Southern Oklahoma methamphetamine uh, industry, you know, um, 
the song that's on there, K-Mag Yo-Yo by Hayes Carl, is basically about a Afghani war vet who was who was stealing was stealing from the Taliban to ship poppies back to base so they could mill them down and send them back to the states and ended up working for the government doing the exact same thing. Kid Charlemagne is about the guy who basically broke cocaine on the West Coast, you know, and how, you know, the rise and fall of it all.
And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, if you think about any of that stuff, any of their songs, if you look at uh, Steely Dan um, on the same album, the sound, the song Royal Scam, you know, but the problem is that everybody, you know, everybody gets tied up in the wheeling in the years and like all of their pop hits. And I mean, I personally like a lot of their pop hits, hits I detest when they wrote pop, I think it's like, you know, they, 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 they threw out the single and it worked for the 60% that likes pop music. Right. And then when they really, you know, Becker and Fagan, when they were writing for themselves and you can hear that in kid Charlemagne and, uh, Kitty lied in like, uh, you know, any of those songs, like, yeah, I mean, and people, I mean, like people will throw them in with, you know, things like Yacht Rock and stuff like that. I'm all good with that. I'm a huge fan of Michael McDonald as well. Um, you know, it's like, please, it's, you know, I don't, I, I think art, art is subjective. There's very few, there's very little art I will consider, art music I will consider bad. And most of the music that I would consider bad would be by a band called Screwdriver. Okay, fair. You know? Yeah, because that's merely that's merely because it's fucking racist. And you know, I'm on I'm in the same boat with you with with screwdriver you know? on the side. Like, there's always that one dude who's like, oh, with the first single, I'm like, it isn't that fucking good, dude. I mean, it's to not me, that I'm good. Like, I'm like, it's not that good. There are plenty of bands. It's not that good compared to the business or Blitz. Yeah, they're or shitty compared to the business or Coxbar or. Cockney rejects and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, There's a I ton mean, of other bands. I used to hear that all the oh yeah, but the music's like good drinking music. Yeah, so is ACDC. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Which you know, arguably, depending on who you are, might be the best drinking music for you. You know, I mean, yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> Judge's gavel fell. Jury found him guilty. Gave him 16 years in hell. He said, I ain't spending my life here. I ain't living alone. Ain't breaking the rocks on the chain gang. I'm breaking out and heading home. I'm gonna make a change.
racing Freedom He was chasing Or if you're having a particularly ignorant night, you go to Black Oak, Arkansas and be really stupid. Oh, you just be stepped, like, you, you just know. stepped in it though. Here's a little known factoid. Yeah. The first Steely Dan tour. Who do they open for? Yeah. Black Oak, Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who the fuck put that bill together? Holy shit, that's, I mean, that is kind of, honestly, that is, I'm trying to think, like, let's put Thursday out with Moshuga. <laughs> you know? And I, I mean, I love both those bands, and I have friends in those bands, and it's, it's like, kind of, you know. And let's, uh, I'm not. I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch fucking Jeff and Tucker turn around and hit Tomas up from Meshuggah and be like, let's do a tour. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, don't get it twisted. I like Black Oak, Arkansas, but there's a certain outre behavior that you could assume comes with somebody who's really, really peeled one off. Oh, yeah. And, and Jim Dandy comes on, and you're like, all right, my buddy's Jim Dandy, who is arguably Jim. also... David Lee Roth before yeah. David Lee Roth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. But one of the th- one of the things that I always tell my friends when we're talking about Steely Dan, I'm like, are you guys listening to the lyrics? Because even on their pop popier numbers, those are dark ass fucking lyrics, and they're kind of shit. Oh fuck! Yeah. I mean, there's another and band. Like, on the, there's another band on that list, Cop Shoot Cop, who like any of their lyrics could have been fucking Steely Dan lyrics. You know? <laughs> it's like Todd Todd Ashley is an amazing lyricist. So, Along the lines of, of, of Donald Fagan, you know? So when did you first hear Steely Dan? Like, oh, mean, Christ, as a, as a kid. I yeah. mean, I had Steely Dan. At, at, I heard Steely Dan on a fucking 8-track. Okay. I, don't forget, I'm 53 years old. I grew up in AM gold territory. Yeah. You know, I grew up like 8-tracks and fucking like, like AM gold radio. And uh, yeah, it was all that. Were you taking ownership of music, as it were, when you were listening to all this, or was it just? I liked what I liked. Was yeah, Steely Dan's always been 
Steely Dan's always been one of those things. I've always been like, you know, I was a typical kid, typical kid that I got into, you know, kind of like every kid in hardcore, like they have to have their kiss phase. My kiss phase was really, really cut short. I never had a kiss phase. I, mine was cut super short by right. a band called Aerosmith, who were legit talented and wrote all their own songs and didn't have all the fucking goofy theatrics. They were, um, yeah, they were like, they were real, you know? The thing, the thi- I, always, I always catch a lot of shit from this from people a little bit older than me, but my biggest complaint about Aerosmith is not that Steven Tyler wasn't a great vocalist and that Joe Perry was not a great guitar player for me and i'm not too far behind you i'm 48 but yeah. they're still they're still like you know back then that may as well have been 20 years right yeah but um man they just they never hit me they never hit me that way and the problem up with with ohio radio unless you're talking about college radio up in Cleveland, yeah is that they're only playing the songs i don't want to hear yeah, absolutely. I was like, I washed my hands of them until I picked up rocks when I was like 13. And uh, such a good record. I'm still not, I'm still not sold on Aerosmith, but I will tell you this, that song, that song, nobody's fault. That is an amazing song. Like that song is just, you know, I can sit and have my criticisms about Aerosmith say this and this and that, but yo, that song, that song is fucking great.
that guitar sound was so influential on me that like when I was in the later era of burn, Mm -hmm. um, I went into Matt Wells's guitar uh, amp shop and he had, he had the amp, he had the Marshall head that Joe Perry, one of the Marshall heads that Joe Perry used on that album. And he let me play it. And I was like, can you get my head to sound like that? I still have the, I, I still have this head, which actually I'm giving the head to Uriah Hackney from Rough Francis as, cause he's just, Uriah's one of my favorite producers. Um, I think he's just an astounding person and an astounding drummer. Yeah. Um, like, you know, we talk constantly, like I've recorded a bunch of stuff with him that I haven't released yet. Like him, like this little triad, like me, him and Joel Hamilton, all kind of like nerd nerd talk together and they've been really like you know kind of like instrumental like and it's not that i haven't like i've wanted to like work on music but i've been so busy with diamond heart that it's like you know finding the time to do it but i don't want to leave i don't want to leave those songs unheard so i really got pretty soon kind of get to you know is it gonna be canonized it'll it'll be under yeah it'll be under canonized okay um yeah because i just don't like right now it's like i like there isn't anything else like we are doing a dial in 16 um, re-release with uh, wreckage. Chris Enriquez at uh, Revolver Magazines is basically like he's got the OK to re-release the whole uh, wreckage catalog, which we actually released the dial in 16 stuff uh, virtually with Death Wish. But we're going to do physical releases with uh, with wreckage revolver. Um, and we're planning to do a show for that at St. Vitus. All hail that fucking club. Um in February, but uh, I got an offer from from uh, a local promoter who's possibly in talking about in September doing a cold cave show and asked me if I would possibly put a lineup together for canonized to play to open on that. And I was I I you know fuck I love cold cave so yeah I would do that in a second. Um, but that's got to also clear with Cold Cave. I mean, they're friends of mine, but I know they're going to have bands that they want to have on. Right. But the, I was honored that the promoter asked me about yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's always cool. Um, you mentioned Cop Shoot Cop earlier, so I guess that's another... That's oh, yeah, they're, they're on that, that list. Can you, that's a name that's been around me and in my sphere of influence for years now. Yeah. I don't know a damn thing about them. Not a single thing. And it's mostly, you know, because unlike some people like i'll openly admit to a blind spot and that's one it's it's totally a blind spot to me and for no other reason other than just that you know your brain you can only hold so much data oh absolutely you you either compress it or you get rid of it and i just had hadn't made my way around there to that you know i mean i'm not um they were a band that was out of the they're out of the whole same scene as tracks um, no, they were a little bit, they were more AMRAP, Amphetamine. They weren't even on Amphetamine Reptile. They were kind of on their own label. They were so weird that labels didn't really know what to do with them. Yeah. And they released a lot of their own material. Um, they were, I the whole scene with like Helmet and Jesus Lizard and the Unsane. Well, in New York, I mean, Jesus Lizard, Chicago band, but in New York, it was like Surgery, the Unsane, Helmet, uh, lubricated goat there was this whole whole scene of of like noise rock bands yeah and they were the most now i'm gonna get down the line here a little bit the most like one of their heavy influences was jim thorwell 
who honestly, if it wasn't for Jim Thorwell, there was no ministry. There was no fucking nine inch nails. None of that fucking kooky smooth industrial stuff. None of it. None of it. None of it. Jim Thorwell is the Vito Corleone of all that shit. Jim is another person, fucking mega talented, um, 
one of the things I think, uh, I, and I give Matt Pinfield credit for this, like he brought, he brought Jim Thurwell on MTV because Pat, you know, Pinfield's a lover of music and he brings him on because he knows how influential he is. And the heads at MTV are like, who the fuck is this dude? Da, 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 da. How dare you bum bum? Fucking Trent Reznor hears about that and goes like, cancel all my appearances, fuck you. <laughs> and Pinfield was like, how dare you fucking insult this guy? Yeah. You know? Um, and I mean, I, I've always like kind of, you know, like the whole VJ thing to me was, you know, it's like how, you know, how long has uh, MTV been around for now? What was it, 82, 83? 82. So it, was, it was earlier than that, wasn't it? Yeah. I think I can look it up. Well, let's figure a third of that they've been playing music. Yeah. You know? it's like, has, you know, has it been a yeah. third? Yeah, it's a third of it they've been, they were playing music, you know, after, and it just became reality TV schmulch. 81. But, um, 81. Yeah. August 1st, 81. Yeah. So, but um, Jim Thurwell, who was a big influence on a lot of bands in New York back then, um and uh they were heavily influenced by him both graphically in their like their album art as well as their sound uh i think todd originally when he first came out sounded like a very much cross between thorwell and tom waits okay and i dug i dug that i dug that like there was just a grit to that a realism to it um you know, and then Nats, who was the other one of their bass players, who um, played in like the Black Snakes and played in uh, Virus, old hardcore band. Yep. Um, and then the other members were just, you know, but Cop Shoot Cop is a band that there two bands that don't get enough respect in New York music: Cop Shoot Cop and fucking Bark Market. I've heard of Bark Market only through because I have that I have a bunch of crawl pappy records and they, they thank bark market in the, yeah. in their liners. And I really like crawl pappy. I, I don't know. Crawl pappy was great. That was, um, that was bark, market, bark market fucking, in my opinion, one of the best records to ever come out of New York was Elron.
I think everything that Dave Sardi did with them was brilliant. Dave what Sardi did that come out? Do you remember offhand? Elrond, I think, came out like what, 96, 95? Oh, so that, that, was, that was a later thing. Okay. Yeah. In my head, because I, because I was listening to Crop Happy early ish, mid 90s ish, before 96, I was under the impression that maybe Bark Market was a, was maybe earlier 90s. Well, Bark Market had been around for a while. Like, here's a, here's a funny thing about it. When we were doing our pre production for, uh, for the Absolution record, the first Absolution EP, Dave was, Dave Sardi was, was one of the in-house engineers there and he offered to produce it. And we were kind of like already set to work with, uh, with Jerry Williams. And that would have changed the sound on that. Absolutely. I mean, immensely, yeah. you know, and, uh, but Sardi also sonically, he's another person who um, a lot of producers stole his concepts. Not, I mean, here's the thing. He can't really, all art is theft. I hate being that. He had, he had a lot of influence out of people like Flood, on Reznor, like all those people. Like, you know, he was, he was, he was Rick Rubin's go-to guy, Deaf American, you know? He's responsible for a lot of the greatest sounds that came out of that label. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's funny cause I say things like this and people are like, Oh, well, you're kind of shit talking big people. Here's the thing about it. I don't have any plans to be fucking a huge famous musician. And you know? honestly, if some of those cats, if, 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 if there's, if they have sufficient enough egos, it's not going to change their day tomorrow any fucking way. Mm. You know, like if, if they hear criticism or if they, or they'll, no, they'll, they'll, they'll either acknowledge where they got an idea from. Or say, yeah, that was an influence because you know all art really is just it's all not, art is stuff. It, well, it's well, that it's theft filtered through your own perspective. Yeah, you know, it's not like there, there are certain situations where I find it to be fucking heinous. Um, yeah. let's go back to another underappreciated New York band, the fucking Lunachicks. Oh, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. That's a name you should chant in your sleep. those girls fucking killed it every time they went on stage 
They fucking burnt it down. Theo Kogan is probably one of the best front people to fucking come out of New York. She was the hardcore scene's Debbie Harry. She was the it girl. And she was, she was fucking totally, totally Gwen Stefani. They took, no doubt took took them out on the tour and Gwen fucking ran ran off the playground with fucking Theo's bag. Wow. Yeah, she totally, totally. And I've said this before in interviews. And it's like, you know, I have nothing, I have nothing against Gwen Stefani. Don't know her. You know, right. no big deal. But here's the thing is, yo, know, give tribute. Give yeah. tribute to where you got that from. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, I put Gina of the Luna Chicks you know, Gina Volpe in the category category with like Vic Venom of nausea as underappreciated guitarist, you know? I have been singing nausea's praises since the first fucking time I heard that band. Yeah. There, there's not, you know, I'm from just south of Cleveland, from Akron. You know, we, yeah. have our, we have our own music history here. It's pretty deep. It's pretty rich. It's very separate from Cleveland. It's, at yeah. one time it was, intermingled in the 70s but it's for a long time it's been a very separate thing and you know from our perspective you know coming up in the for me it was mid to late 80s when i first started really getting into hardcore you know that was the crossover era and things were rapidly changing from some of the earlier bands this this is again from my perspective yeah i'm not from new york but um there was there it, it felt like that there are two camps and I was, I was dabbling in both, you know, like, look, that 87 breakdown demo is love it. Love so it, love good. it, love it, love it. Love so it. good. But, but there are some folks who will listen to that, but would not listen to nausea. And I'm like, why not?
is fucking stellar stellar and, and I'm, John, I'm being, John John Jesse another one of my favorite fucking best bass players bass tone is ridiculously good. god he's so, so grossly sexy every you know? <laughs> yeah you're not kidding yeah. you're yeah. not kidding All right, that's the end of part one of my conversation with musician and martial artist Gavin Van Vlack. Uh, Part two is up. Go check it out. See you on the other side.